Amen. Welcome to Salt Company. If you guys are new, my name is Colin, and um, I'm on staff with with Salt Company here. It's really fun to gather uh, again this this week. Um, Guys, we're going to be kind of jumping into uh, justice today. That's what we're going to be talking about. We're in week two of our Conversations with Jesus series, and we're going to be talking about the Good Samaritan. But before I um, dive into the, to the word today, um, just want to address uh, the, the death of, of Brianna Taylor um, and all that went on this week with, with the court ruling. And I just want you guys to know that um, we want to process with you. I'm sure some of you are coming into this place hurting, uh, confused with questions. And I just want you guys to know that um, as a staff, we want to process that with you. We want to process what you're thinking, what you're feeling. Um, so please find Hannah or myself or even um, Drew. He, he's the lead pastor of Salt City. He is here tonight. Um, find, find one of us after the service if you're feeling some of that and you want to process that and you want someone to pray with. I, I just want you guys to know that, that we care and we want to hear what's on your heart. Um, and so, yeah, we want, we want you guys to know that. Um, I'm going to jump into Luke 10 today. So if you guys have a Bible or your phone, if you want to pull that out um, and follow along as we um, kind of walk through Luke 10 and this story that Jesus tells, um, before we dive in, we need to know the context of this conversation, right? We talked a lot of last week, if you guys were here, about the context of the conversation. Who is Jesus having a conversation with? And actually, it's pretty um, similar to last week. Last week, we talked about Nicodemus, this Pharisee, and this, this week, we're, we're going to see Jesus talk to a lawyer. And a lot like in today's culture, where lawyers are seen as uh, intelligent, as um, culture setters, if you will, um, that would have been a lot the same with lawyers back then. This man would have been incredibly um, intelligent, incredibly well-respected. He also would have been incredibly uh, religiously devoted, uh, moral, all, all the things you'd think of, of both the cultural intelligence but also religious intelligence. And so that's the, that's the conversation. That's the context of the conversation that we're going to see uh, today. So we're going to dive in. Luke 10, verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So a lot of times, I'm going to get up here and we're going to talk about a big idea, right? A big idea. But this week, instead of a big idea being taught by Jesus, we're going to see a big question being asked of Jesus. How to live the righteous life. How do I live the righteous life? And I think a lot of us are asking that same question in this moment. How am I supposed to be righteous? How am I supposed to inherit this eternal kind of life? How am I supposed to be a good person? How do I do the right things? Increasingly, culture is asking us to be righteous. Right? They're saying, be righteous, do justice. We all want, want to be on the right side of history. Right? Do you guys feel that? I know I'm feeling that from culture. You got you to take a stand. You got to be righteous. I, I'm feeling that as well in this moment. And 
And the lawyer is actually doing the exact same thing in this moment. He wants to be righteous. That's why he's asking this question. He, he's testing Jesus. What, what is it going to take to inherit eternal life? What is it going to take for me to live the righteous life? And Jesus answers this question with a story. So a lot of you have heard the story of the Good Samaritan. It's actually a story that Jesus tells. It's called a parable. He's trying to illustrate something greater. So we're going we're gonna to dive into the story, verse 30. This is Jesus telling this story to uh, the lawyer. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Okay. So, that would have been a pretty well-known route to this lawyer. It is the route from Jerusalem to Jericho. And, and even this story of a man being beaten and, and left half dead wouldn't have been that surprising to the lawyer. This, this route, this, this road that, that this man was traveling was known for being incredibly dangerous. Filled with robbers, filled with, with people that look to do this type of thing. And so, and so the, the lawyer wouldn't have been surprised at the beginning of the story, but Jesus is about to throw a wrench in the story. Verse 31, now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Okay, so the man that's supposed to be religiously alive, right, this religious man that's supposed to care for other people, the priest walks maybe on the other side of the road, actually changes the side of the road so he can walk by on the other side. The one we think will save the day isn't actually the hero. Verse 32. So likewise, a Levite or, or a religious man, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. So again, the exact same thing. The expected hero. The, the moral man passes by on the other side. So think about the lawyer. Put, put yourself in the lawyer's shoes. What's going to happen? We, we've met a priest. Now we've met this religious moral man, these two moral people that are setting the standard for morality, and they pass by on the other side. What, what kind of person is going to be the hero of this story? Okay, verse 33. But a Samaritan. Okay, stop. But a Samaritan. That, that like doesn't land with us, right? You're like, okay, just another guy in the story. Here's the thing, is a Samaritan would have hit really hard with the lawyer. Why? Because Samaritans and, and Jewish people, this lawyer was Jewish, hated each other. Hated each other, religiously and racially hated each other. Like, think of some of the greatest racial tensions throughout history. This is another. The Jewish people versus the Samaritan people. Here's what the Jewish people taught their kids growing up. If you see a Samaritan woman giving birth, struggling to give birth, let her be. Let, let the, the, the child die because we don't want another Samaritan in this world. I mean, that's the level of religious and racial hate that's going on in the story. Okay, let's, let's keep going. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. 
So just think how dangerous this road was. The Samaritan even stopping is, is a danger, right? That's maybe why the priest and the, and the Levite walked by in the stories. It's just too dangerous. But the Samaritan stops. He, he shows compassion. He risks his own life by stopping. Well, let's keep going. He went to him, bound up his wounds, poured on oil and wine. Okay, so this is going to help disinfect the wounds and, and ease the pain, begin, begin the healing, healing process. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. So the Samaritan is not only risking his own life by stopping, but then disadvantages himself by letting this man ride on his animal, right? So that means the Samaritan's now walking, disadvantages himself, and then gives him two denarii. Again, not, not landing. Okay, two denarii is probably about a month's worth of wages. So the Samaritan puts his own life in danger, disadvantages himself, and then gives this man probably a couple thousand dollars to stay in a hotel, buy food, take care of his wounds. About a month's worth of wages. And remember who Jesus is talking to. Remember who the Samaritan is compared to the lawyer. The Samaritan's the hated man. Think about how the lawyer is feeling in this situation. Think about how the lawyer is feeling. How do I be saved? What does righteousness look like? And Jesus has the audacity to say the righteous man is the man that you have been taught and have grown up hating. It's the unexpected man in the story that actually does justice. Think about how the lawyer's feeling. Okay, let's just take a look at, at just how the lawyer might be feeling. Let's look at verse 36. Jesus asked this question to him. Okay, so Jesus is now out of the story. Now he's trying to get the lawyer to understand the story. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. He doesn't even say his name. But he doesn't say, oh, it was the Samaritan. The one who showed him mercy, right? Like, it's in Harry Potter where it's like, the one who should not be named, right? Like, we don't even want to say his name. That's what the lawyer is saying about the Samaritan. The one who showed him mercy, we think we live in like an incredibly unique cultural moment right now where talks of righteousness and talks of justice and injustice and racism are going on all around us. But this is actually the same moment that the lawyer and Jesus are having. How do I be righteous? How do I do justice? What does it actually look like to be a just person in, in the backdrop of just deep racism? I think, like I said earlier, everyone in this cultural moment wants to be righteous, wants to be on the right side of history, right? Like when you look back in 20 years, you want to make sure that you stood on the right side, you stood with the right people, you stood with the right political group or movement. Everyone wants to stand on the right side of history. But Jesus is addressing the same thing with the lawyer. 
So, so picture the lawyer in this moment. He's standing with his religious buddies who are moral, who are people that have practiced religion their whole lives. They think they've actually achieved doing good, being righteous, doing justice before God, and Jesus is saying they aren't actually righteous. And I think we're the same way. We have, we've allowed culture to redefine justice and what it means to do justice, and, and we've been consumed by it. I've been consumed by it. What does it mean to do justice? Maybe if I say the right thing or join the right group or post the right thing on my social media page, then I'm doing justice. But, but we're forgetting what it means to actually do justice, to do righteousness. It's, it's the one who the lawyer would have never shown mercy towards that actually shows mercy towards the Jewish man, right? That's who it is. It's the one you'd never think. Okay, so as I was thinking about how to land this in, in this moment with, with you guys, I, I'm trying to put modern language to this to illustrate it, and I feel like our country is so two-sided, and probably this room has people that, that fall on each side, that I have to illustrate it twice, so just bear with me as I illustrate it twice. I hope one of them lands for you. For sake of simplicity, I'm going to put two groups of people. There's the make America great again, patriotic, loving, all lives matter, right? There's that side. And then there's the other side of like woke, justice, do justice for all, black lives matter. And I'm not... I'm not making a statement on one. I just feel like there's probably one of those that you associate with more. Maybe, and maybe you feel like, ah, not, not either one of them. But, but I think all of us, or, or a lot of us, probably associate more with one side. Okay, so for you that love Make America Great Again, here's your Good Samaritan story. Man on the side of the road, the born-again Christian, walks by on the other side. The... The man wearing the Reagan Bush 84, stars and stripes shorts, I love America, sign carrying, all lives matter, passes by on the other side. But then the man that's carrying a, a sign that says black lives matter, the man that, that's wearing a shirt that says justice for all, he stops he cares for the man. He brings the man, pays for a month's worth of Airbnb, stocks the pantry, stocks the refrigerator. Okay, for the other group of you, this is your maybe version of the Good Samaritan. The born-again Christian walks by. The man carrying the Black Lives Matter justice for all shirt walks by. And the Man wearing the stars and stripes short, make America great again hat. He walks up, picks up the man, carries him to an Airbnb, pays for a month worth of Airbnb for this man, stocks the fridge, stocks the pantry. Okay, what's the point of me doing that? I hope you feel what the lawyer is feeling. That's not how it should be. That feels wrong. I don't get that. 
That doesn't seem like justice. Jesus is actually advocating for all people to be justice-seeking people. He's actually raising the bar. Right? Like, culture is setting, like, you need to be at least this concerned about justice, and Jesus is actually raising that bar. It's more than you think. There are more people that you need to be just towards or show justice towards. And I also want you to see is that this cultural trend towards justice is actually based on Christian morality. It's actually based on the teachings of Jesus. This cultural trend towards justice is actually based on the teachings of Jesus. So, what does it mean to be righteous? We're still kind of like stuck in this. Okay, I like have a picture of it. I, I kind of feel what the lawyer's feeling, but what does it actually look like? Let's, let's jump back. Jesus and the lawyer actually address it earlier in the conversation. Let's jump back and look at it. Verse 25. And behold, the lawyer stood up to him to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he, who's Jesus, said to him, You have answered correctly, do this, and you will live. Right? The driving question of this whole interaction is, how do I inherit eternal life? How do I live the righteous life? And Jesus, being Jesus, answers this lawyer's question with a question. Well, what is written in the law? How, how do you read it? What does the law say? So I think for a lot of us, this question is kind of out of context. We don't understand what maybe he's saying. So just imagine for a moment that, um, that someone asks you, how do I be a law-abiding citizen in Minnesota? How do I be a law-abiding citizen in Minnesota? Okay, when someone asks you that question, you have two options. You can pull out your phone, Google every law ever list, every law that applies to anyone that's in Minnesota, or you can summarize. Right? And so you can thank the lawyer. He chooses to summarize. Your Bible might be twice as long if he didn't. Um, here's what he says. He gives this like really profound answer where he quotes two passages in the Old Testament. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. So the lawyer gives this beautiful, this beautiful summary of the law. Like, we continue to use this summary of the law. Jesus used this summary of the law. But what, what does it mean? What does it mean to love the Lord your God? Okay, so first, not only do we have to love the Lord your God, but we actually have to see God as Lord, right? That's implied in that, is that you have to see God as Lord, and then you have to love God as Lord. And then he lists four things that you have to love God with. You have to love God with your heart. You have to love God with our soul. We have to love God with our strength. We have to love God with our mind. Guys, here's what he's saying is the law does not require a partial allegiance towards God. The law actually requires a complete allegiance towards God. This is what it means. We have to love God with our feelings and be captivated intellectually by God and compelled to display this love and that this love is part of the very fabric of our beings. That's what, that's what this is saying. He says, it, it, it's not just a partial demand. It's actually 
all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind. Here's how I summarized it. The law of God requires an always all-consuming affection for God as your Lord. The law requires an always all-consuming affection for God as your Lord. And I, it, we like tend to think that Jesus isn't actually being serious here. Jesus is being incredibly serious. This is what the law demands of us. Let me, let me help you kind of color in just how much Jesus is asking. Here's a teaching of Jesus from Matthew 5. This is what Jesus says. I'm, I'm paraphrasing a little bit. You've heard it said, do not murder. I say, whoever has anger in his heart has already committed murder in his heart. Okay, so at that first statement, I'm like, I'm feeling good. I've never murdered anyone. But then all of a sudden he kind of flips the script. I'm not feeling so good. Here's another one. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery. I say, whoever looks at a man or a woman with lustful thoughts has already committed adultery in his or her heart. The law of God requires both external perfection, doing the right thing on the outside, but it also requires an internal perfection. We have to think, feel, and be motivated by all the right things. Not only is Jesus asking us to do justice, but to think about, to love, and be motivated by righteousness. Which is a perfect justice. And if, if that wasn't enough, there's the last part of the law. Which is to love your neighbor as yourself. I don't know about you, but I have a, I have a tendency to love myself incredibly well. I'm really good at loving myself. And, and Jesus is calling us to treat not just the people we like, not just the people we associate with, right? This is the parable of the Good Samaritan. Not just the people that are in my corner, but all people with that same heart, that same love. The person that could never and would never repay you, treat that person the way you treat yourself. Right? Culture is crying out for justice and crying out for righteousness, but Jesus is raising the bar so much higher than we think or could expect. So much higher. Like, the culture's bar, you might feel like the culture's bar is high. Jesus is raising it so much higher. Jesus' call for righteousness, Jesus' call to live justice is so far beyond what we could imagine. Okay, here's, here's a, a silly way. Uh, to illustrate this, is I was thinking about my college years um, in, a, in a class, one of my last classes I took in college. It was a, it was a business analytics class. Um, I didn't really know what I was getting into. It was kind of like, it was some marketing was the name of the class. It ended up being a business analytics class. It was really hard, or I thought it was really hard. Um, and Okay, so there are like two kinds of classes. The first kind of class is like syllabus day. You're like, oh, this class is going to be super easy. And then other classes were like, wow, this class is going to be super hard. Okay, this is one of those like syllabus day, super easy classes. I'm like, everything's a group project. He's like, we'll change your groups every once in a while. Every week you come in, you do a group project. You should be able to finish it in class. There's a test at the end of the year. Everyone's like, okay, this is going to be so easy. And it was. It was super easy. Until the test. About a week out from the test, he's like, hey, I hope you remember like everything you've learned because the test sometimes is like hard for people. Everyone, everyone's like, we're still good. Like, we did well on all these projects. This is fine. 
okay, I get in this test, it is a computer test. So we're like in the classroom on a computer. So hard. And he told us before that he wasn't going to curve the test. Okay? So <laughs> I leave this test. Your score comes up when you're done. <laughs> brutal. Brutal. I got a 30% on this test. And you know, you know it's a hard test when people are congregating outside the classroom after the test like, yo, what just happened to you? <laughs> I did pretty well compared to my classmates. Here's the point. Here's the point. The expectations of the class were so far beyond anything that we could have achieved. The expectations of the class were so far beyond anything that any of us could have achieved. Jesus expects, Jesus' ex expectation for us, in order for us to merit our own salvation, are so far beyond anything that we could ever do. So here's what's true. There, there, are, there are a few kinds of people in this room. There, I'm going to say there are three types of people in the room. The first type of person is you don't actually think doing justice is that important. I hope you see Jesus has blown up that line of thinking. There's a second type of person in the room. And that, that person's like, yeah, I think justice matters. I'm just not sure how to do it. And there's the third type of person in the room. You thought you could maybe live up to culture's expectation of justice, but you're starting to realize that there's no way you meet Jesus' expectation of justice. Here's what I'm, I mean, here is God's expectation of righteousness. You have to love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, with all of your mind. Okay, I'm saying that. I'm saying that to you right now in this moment. Microphone on, on a stage, and I'm not doing that. Right now, in this moment. Like, not like, oh, I wasn't doing that earlier today. Like, in this moment, I'm not doing that. And I don't think anyone else in the room is. All your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. We have no way to fulfill the expectation that God has put in our lives. But here's the thing, is that Jesus actually flips the script. You see, the whole conversation, the lawyer has thought that he must be the good Samaritan. This whole time I've been teaching, for 25 minutes, I've been telling you, you must be the good Samaritan. You must be perfect. That's God's expectation of you. But Jesus flips the script because Jesus is the better Samaritan because Jesus actually lived like this. Jesus did all the right things. He was completely sinless and not only like sinless externally, but sinless internally, right? Kind of that lust in your heart, anger. He was sinless internally. Not only was he completely sinless, but he was also completely selfless. Everything Jesus did on earth was not about himself. It was about weak, hurting, and oppressed people. That's what motivated Jesus during his time on earth. Just imagine for a second the last selfless thing that you did, or close to selfless, as close as you can come up with selfless. That's how Jesus lived his entire life. 
with this others-oriented sort of love. Jesus actually lived his life being the Good Samaritan. Jesus actually is our better Samaritan. Right? We are not actually the point of the story. The whole time you're putting yourself in the shoes of the Good Samaritan, like, I must be the Good Samaritan. But the point of the story is that Jesus is the better Samaritan. Up until this point, the law demands that we're the Good Samaritan. But Jesus knew we could never live up to the expectations of being that. But he could. And that's good news, is that he could. It's not about us living perfectly, it's, about, it's that Jesus did live perfectly. It's not about us seeing and helping every broken person that we ever could, because there's no way that we could. It's that Jesus sees and saw every broken person in history and actually made a way for complete healing for them. When we see Jesus as the Good Samaritan, all of a sudden we realize that it's not about us being the Good Samaritan, it's actually about us being the man on the side of the road. So let me retell this story, the story of the better Samaritan. Okay, this time it's not a road from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's a transition point between childhood and becoming an adult. It's called college, (laughs) right? And this time it's not robbers coming and taking physical possessions and leaving the man half dead. It's actually sin and broken relationships and misplaced expectations on yourself, having others misplace expectations on you, on thinking that your freshman year was going to be all that you dreamed it would be, and now you're here in this place. And You may not be physically half-dead, but you're spiritually half-dead or fully dead. And it's not a ditch on the side of the road. It's the top bunk of your freshman dorm room. And you sit there in depression and thoughts that your life's not all that you thought it would be. But a man came along. And he didn't heal physical wounds. He healed spiritual wounds. And he didn't have to pay to make sure that that you were doing well physically. But he actually paid to make sure that you escaped from spiritual slavery. And he didn't pay a few grand. He actually paid for it with his life. Right, the the hero of this story is Jesus. The hero of this story is, is Jesus, is our better Samaritan, guys, and that's just not a made up story that I concocted in my brain. That's actually my better Samaritan story. That was my better Samaritan story. Is that Jesus rescued a broken sinful kid in his freshman dorm room 
and it was me. That's who Jesus rescued. Guys, when you understand that you're the person in the ditch that needs healing, you can also have a better Samaritan story. You can also have a better Samaritan story. You see, the whole story, Jesus flips on its head because our sin is the thing that actually breaks the relationship between us and God. We are pushing God out of our lives with our sin. And instead of God saying, all right, I'll push you away too, he runs harder and finds us in the ditch. In the spiritual ditch is where God finds us and he begins to heal. He begins to heal spiritual things in your life. He begins to heal broken relationships in your life. He begins to to flip the narrative that you're not good enough, that you'll never be good enough, that your life's not all that it should be. He begins to flip that narrative because when you know Jesus, you're a part of God's family. He restores your spiritual life better than it ever could have been. He makes you spiritually alive. You're no longer a slave to sin anymore when you know Jesus. The very thing that we use to push God away and we were enslaved with, that that sin God paid for with his blood on the cross and then raised three days later so that we could have spiritual life and no longer had to be slaves to the sin that had captivated us up to that point. That's the hope of Jesus. And then Jesus actually invites the Christian into a life of righteousness and into a life of justice. Here's what I mean. Maybe you've never been in financial need, like really great financial need. But when you know Jesus, you can have eyes to see that at one time you were spiritually broke. You can have eyes to see that person because at one time you were spiritually broke. Let me give you another example. I can't understand being oppressed because of the color of my skin. I can't understand being oppressed because of the color of my sin or my ethnicity. But I want to see justice come to those people. Why? Because I was actually oppressed spiritually and Jesus saved me from that spiritual oppression. I want to see justice come in those places because justice has first been done to me. Guys, Jesus invites us into a better life of justice when we know him. But before we can do justice, we first have to recognize that we were on the side of the road that we were in the ditch, that we were spiritually dead and we needed a hero. And that hero was the person that we'd pushed away our whole lives, but he ran after us harder and faster than we could ever push him away. He's our better Samaritan. Our true hero, Jesus. Let's pray. God, I, I see your call for perfection, your call to do justice, your call for righteousness, and I see my own sin, my own inadequacy, my own spiritual brokenness even today 
ways that I've turned from that life even today. And I, again, need to be reminded that I'm not the hero of my own story. I don't have the ability to be a good Samaritan, but that you were my better Samaritan, that my freshman year you ran hard after someone that had pushed you away for 18 years. And you rescued me. You brought me out of the spiritual ditch to bring me into spiritual life. Jesus, would that be true of us today? Would you bring us again back into right relationship with you when we know the sacrifice that you made on the cross? That by your blood you've purchased us. That we can know you. We love you. Praise the Lord in Jesus' name. Amen.